And we're going to be in John chapter 3 today. John chapter 3. And I want to encourage you next Sunday, we will be partaking in communion as a church family together. And the time of communion is meant to remember the sacrifice of Jesus for us on the cross. And so as we focus our attention to the cross next week, I want to encourage you to be here and be a part of that special moment in the service. I'm looking forward to what God is going to do. But I'm excited about this morning. John chapter 3 is where we're going to be. And we're continuing on in a series that we started several weeks ago that we're calling Into the Wild. And this series is all about uh, Jesus, really, but we're learning from the life of John, the baptizer, who was the cousin of Jesus. And the Bible says that John spent uh, much of his life in ministry out in the wild, out in the wilderness. And so we're learning from his life. And today we're going to be in John chapter 3, and we'll start reading in verse number 22. If you're there, would you say amen? It says this in verse number 22. And after these things came Jesus and his disciples into the land of Judea. And there he tarried with them and baptized. And John also was baptizing in Anon near to Salim, because there was much water there and they came and were baptized. For yet was not yet John uh, cast into prison. For John was not yet cast into prison. This is something that we'll see next week. Verse 25. Then there arose a question between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purifying. And they came unto him and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizeth, and all men come to him. John answered and said, A man cannot receive a man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly. Because of the bridegroom's voice, this my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. Everybody say, say fulfilled. fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. He that cometh from above is above all, and he that is of earth is earthly, and speaketh of the earth, and he that cometh from heaven is above all. And what he hath seen and heard, that he testifieth, and no man receiveth his testimony. He that hath received his testimony hath set to his seal that God is true. For he whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God, for God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. The Father loveth the Son, and hath given all things into his hand. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not on the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Today, I'd like to speak for a few minutes this morning about this subject, the power of purpose. And if you like to jot down a title, if you want to take some notes today, I want to talk about the power of purpose. Let's have a word of prayer together this morning. Father, thank you so much for this day that you've given us. God, thank you for the special work that you're doing in our church. God, we just want to say that we are so grateful for all the lives that have been changed and the souls that are being saved on a weekly basis. Lord, you deserve all the glory. You deserve all the praise from it all. God, I pray that you would meet with us in a special way here at this 930 service and that we would be filled with your spirit. Lord, I pray that we would be able to understand this text 
and how it applies to our lives and how uh, we can lead this place differently because of it. And so, Lord, I pray that you would be honored and glorified in our time together this morning. We love you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said together. The other day, I picked up my three children from school, and they all got in the car really excited, and they said, Dad, you've got to hear this song. And I was kind of wondering what song that might be. And my kids are relatively young. And I was thinking, if this is another like baby shark or something, I'm out. I don't want to hear this song. But they said, Dad, you've got to hear the song YMCA. And uh, that was the first time that they had ever heard that song. How many of you are familiar with the YMCA? Any volunteers do the dance this morning? YMCA, right? And uh, they were excited for me to hear that song. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I've heard this one. And, uh, you know, the YMCA as an organization started in the 1800s by a man named George Williams. And George Williams started this organization really to be an encouragement to young men. That's why the YMCA stands for the Young Men's Christian Association. And he started this to have a refuge for young men that were uh, seeking uh, spiritual encouragement and Bible studies and prayer. And this was the Young Men's Christian Association. I was reading about a church planner from several years ago that was looking for a place, a facility to rent for their church. And they found this YMCA location that was in a great location to start a church. And so they went and they asked them, can we meet here at this YMCA facility? And they responded by saying, "Uh, we're sorry, but we are unable to partner with churches or religious organizations. And the irony of that story, of course, is that at least at that particular location, the Young Men's Christian Association cannot associate with Christians. Now, you might say, well, what happened there? Well, somewhere along the way, they drifted from their original purpose. Uh, Somewhere along the way, they drifted from the original intent as to why they started. And, And the reality is, the tragic reality is that this can happen to all of us in life and ministry. That if we're not careful over time, we will drift from the purpose uh, by which God has created us. We will drift from the calling that God has for us. Uh, The Apostle Paul one time was writing to a young pastor named Timothy, and he was giving him kind of kind of an update on one of their ministry companions. It was a man named Demas. And so Paul's writing to Timothy, and he says, you know, I want to give you an update on what happened to Demas. And he says this in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 10. For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica. And so he says, hey, I need to tell you about Demas. Demas quit. He quit on the ministry. He He left. He departed unto Thessalonica. But Paul gives this qualifier, did you catch it? It was because he had loved this present world. And here's what you need to know about Demas. Long before Demas departed, he drifted. Over time, he started to drift and be distracted by the things of this world. And he started to drift. Eventually, he departed. Uh, You don't just wake up one day and say, you know what? Today's the day that I'm going to quit on my marriage. You don't just wake up one day and say, today's the day I'm going to walk out on my family. Today's the day I'm going to quit going to church. I'm going to quit uh, serving the Lord. No, spiritual abandonment is not an event. It's an evolution. It takes place over time. And if we aren't careful, we will start to drift from the purpose that God has given us. Can I tell you that at Rock Hill, we have a purpose, and that purpose is to reach people with the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus. That's our purpose. And it's my prayer that we would never drift from that purpose. It's my prayer that as a church, we would not become more about our politics and more about our traditions and more about our preferences and more about our programs. It's my prayer that at Rock Hill Church, we would always be about the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we would never, 
be distracted and be drifted from our purpose. One thing I love about the ministry of John the baptizer is that he was anchored and he was locked into his purpose. Uh, He might have been a wild man out in the wilderness, but through discouragement and through doubt and through criticism, he always stayed locked in to the purpose that God had given him. Now, the purpose that God gave John was to point other people to Jesus. Can I tell you that the purpose that God gave to John is the same purpose that we have as well? To point other people to Jesus. John, he understood through thick and thin the power of being connected to purpose. Now, to give you a little bit of background on John chapter 3, do you have your Bible open today? I want to encourage you to keep your Bible open. And to give you a little bit of context as to where we are, we are dropped in, in chapter 3, verse number 22, right into the middle of a heated discussion like a heated argument. How many of you have ever been in a heated discussion? Can I see your hands? Anybody on the way to church this morning get in a heated discussion? Anybody like that? Okay, thank you for your honesty. Now, what's interesting is last week, if you were here last week, uh, John was in a heated discussion or there was a dispute from without. If you were here last week, we saw that the Sanhedrin, that religious group, they were coming to John and they were asking him questions. Who do you think you are? Why do you think you can baptize? And what is this all about? So this this group from without was criticizing John. What's interesting about John chapter 3 is that now he is receiving this dispute from within. It's his own disciples that are arguing. It's John's own followers that are disputing. How many of you know that sometimes in the life of a church that there will be opposition from without? Sometimes there's going to be some opposition from the world. I remember when we started uh, Rock Hill in the first year, our church truck, we were a mobile church, and our church truck and trailer, I think it got broken into at least 10 times that first year. Daniel could tell you. They would just bash the window in and steal speakers and steal stuff uh, from out of that car. Sometimes the church is going to experience opposition from without. But I believe even more dangerous is when the church starts to experience opposition from within. Because the devil wants nothing more than to allow division and jealousy and gossip and pettiness and our petty preferences uh, to cause us to be distracted from our purpose so that we will eventually drift from our purpose and leave it all together. And so last week, John had this uh, opposition from without. Now he's experiencing some opposition from within that his disciples are involved in this heated uh, discussion. But through it all, through all this discussion that we're going to see today, John stayed anchored and locked into his purpose. Now, to get the context, let's notice verse number 22. If you're with me today, would you say amen? amen. Notice verse 22. And after these things came Jesus and his disciples into the land of Judea, and there he tarried with them and baptized. All right? And so Jesus' ministry was now in full swing. They're in the region of Judea, and Jesus and his disciples are baptizing. Now, we know specifically in John chapter 4, verse number 2, that Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were baptizing. And so you have this group over here. They are baptizing. Now, notice verse number 23. And John also, and here's where the rubber meets the road. John also. John's ministry, John's disciples also were baptizing in Anon near to Selim because there was much water near uh, there, and they came and were baptized. And so what we see are two different groups. Everybody tracking so far? You have Jesus's group baptizing, and you have John's group baptizing. And what happens is there is this conflict that arises. Wait, wait, wait. They're doing what we're doing? 
that group is baptizing and we're baptizing. And, and, uh, and so now there's this question that is going to arise. Notice verse 24. For John was not yet cast into prison. Verse 25. Then there arose a question. Now that sounds innocent. There arose a question, just an innocent question. But if you uh, study it out and understand it in the Greek language, it actually is talking about a dispute or a matter of controversy. And so because Jesus' disciples were baptizing and John's disciples were baptizing, there arose a dispute, a matter of controversy. And it surrounded the ministry of Jesus and uh, the ministry of John. But through this conversation, John is going to show how we can stay anchored uh, to our purpose. And so as we break down this argument, you could say, as we break down this conversation, uh, let me give us three ways that we can stay anchored to our purpose. And just so I know who I'm talking to today, how many of you would say, I'm interested in staying anchored to my God-given purpose? Anybody like that? How do we do that for the long haul? Three ways today. Number one, you have to learn to fight against envy. You got to fight against envy. Notice what our text says in verse number 25. It says this, There arose a question, a dispute between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purifying. And so they had these uh, purification rituals, and they were having this discussion about the baptisms and these rituals. And it says in verse 26, and they came unto John, and they said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness. Now, who are they talking about there in that verse? Yeah, they're talking about Jesus. They're saying, uh, the one that you uh, bear witness of, uh, verse 26, behold, the same baptizeth, and all men come to him. And so John's disciples, they run to John. They say, John, have you heard about this? That, that Jesus' disciples, they're now baptizing like we are. Uh, they're doing what we do. And what's happening is very interesting. Uh, Jesus' ministry is starting to eclipse John's ministry. What's happening is John's ministry is starting to fade away. And Jesus' ministry is starting to rise. Now, there's a very common definition for leadership, and uh, probably the most simple and straightforward definition, if you were to define leadership, leadership is influence, when you have influence. Now, you can see why John's disciples were worried, because they're starting to lose influence. And so they're thinking, man, our ministry is getting small. We're not growing anymore. All this success out in the wilderness, all these crowds, they're starting to go away. And they're starting to go over to uh, Jesus and his disciples. Our ministry is, is fading. I saw this interesting uh, article or this video this week, and it was of uh, Golden State Warriors Clay Thompson. How many of you know who Clay Thompson is? He's one of the greatest shooters uh, in NBA history, and uh, uh, his career is, is is coming to an end. You could say he's kind of uh, later in his years, and and uh, his statistics aren't what they used to be. And so something interesting happened last week, where normally he's always in at the end of the game in those clutch minutes, and and the coach decided to take him out, and so he didn't get to stay on the floor in that close game. And afterwards, there was a report in the locker room that said, hey, uh, did that bother you? Or, or is that hard for you to sit on the bench? And he responded by saying, are you kidding me? He said, it's very tough for me. But then he said, but I'm happy for my teammates, and I'm happy that we got the win. Here's what I believe. Spiritually speaking, it is a sign of spiritual maturity when you learn to celebrate the success of someone else. When you can be happy when God blesses someone else. When someone else gets to go on vacation and it's good for them. And when someone else gets a new opportunity that maybe you would have liked that opportunity. Hey, I'm thankful that they had that opportunity. See, it's a sign of spiritual success when we can learn to celebrate the victories of other people. You know, the Apostle Paul did this even in the in context of ministry. Uh, the Apostle Paul said this in Philippians chapter 1 verse 15. 
Some indeed preach Christ, even of envy and strife. What an amazing statement that is. Some people are preaching Christ of envy? They're preaching the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but they're doing so out of envy and strife? And Paul says, and some also of goodwill. And so Paul's saying, hey, some people are preaching the good news of Jesus just out of envy. They have the wrong motives. Some people are preaching Jesus out of goodwill. They're doing it for the right reasons. He says, the one that preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds. Paul's saying, these people are preaching Christ really just to hurt me. They want to they add affliction to my bonds. But the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. Then Paul says, what then? How am I going to respond to this? These, these people that are preaching Christ out of contention. He says, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And I there and do rejoice, yea, and I will rejoice. And so the apostle Paul says, hey, I don't know what their motive is, but I can tell you this. I'm thankful any time the name of Jesus Christ is lifted up. And so I don't know what their motive might be preaching, but I want you to know I will rejoice that Jesus Christ is magnified. And you know what so often derails the church today? It's not compromise. It's competition. It's I want that opportunity. I want that platform. I wish I had those numbers. And see, we have this way as human beings to, to measure success against uh, one another. But what we need in the church is far less competition and far more celebration. I am so thankful when Jesus Christ is magnified. Now, now, how can we fight against envy? How many of you would say today at the 930 service, I would like to not be an envious and jealous person? Anybody like that? Would you say that? How, how can we fight against envy? Uh, is it okay if we get really practical today? I believe that the word of God is very practical. And so I want to give three practical ways that we can fight against envy. Uh, the first is this. We have to learn to remove unhealthy emotion. You've got to learn to remove unhealthy emotion. Notice what it says in our text in verse 26. And they came to him, and they came to John, and they said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizeth, and all men come to him. Now, you can tell in the heat of the moment, they were being a little dramatic. All men, everyone is going over to Jesus and his disciples. Well, we know that wasn't true. The text, the text explicitly says that John and his disciples were baptizing there in Anon near Salim. And so there were still people there in their ministry. But in that heat of the moment, they were, they, they were envious. And that envy led to emotion. And emotion always leads to irrational thoughts. And so they say, oh, man, everybody is going over there. And, and this happens all the time. We can, start to, uh, we can start to let our emotions speak to us, and we can start uh, believing our emotions. Man, nobody likes me, and everybody's against me, and everybody hates me, and nobody respects me. And we can start uh, believing those lies. But if you are going to fight against envy, you have to learn to remove unhealthy emotion. The Bible says in Proverbs 25, verse 28, he that hath no rule of his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. I wonder what would happen if this generation believed that verse and applied that verse. If someone has no rule over their own spirit, if you can't control your own emotions, then you are like a city without walls and with no borders and no defense system so the enemy can come into your heart, into your mind, and do whatever he wants. You've got to have the ability to uh, control your uh, thoughts. Uh, there was a Chinese pastor named Watchman Nee in the 70s who died in a Chinese prison for standing firm in what he believed 
about the truth of God's word, much like John the baptizer, as we'll see next week. But Watchman he said this about our emotions. He said, human feelings change as the world changes. Have you noticed this? Their easy excitement can occasion a saint to lose his spiritual balance. Their constant disturbance can affect a believer's peace in his spirit. And I find it fascinating that he calls our emotions this constant disturbance. Have you felt that to be true in your life, that, that those emotions are a constant disturbance? They're always knocking at the door. They're always fighting. They're always infiltrating. They're always uh, there. That is why Proverbs 4 says, keep thine heart Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. We have to have the ability to guard our spirit, remove unhealthy thoughts. They said, oh, men, they were, they were being emotional here in this moment. But, but not only remove unhealthy thoughts, we have to then recognize that what we have is a gift. Recognize that what you have is a gift. Notice how John responds. Okay, so they bring this, they bring this quote-unquote problem to John. Notice how he responds in verse 27. John answered and said, a man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. What a powerful statement. John says, everything that you have, everything that I have, every opportunity that I have. Hey, listen, guys, every baptism that we've experienced, it all comes from God. He says it's all from the Lord. He says that, that any opportunity that we have, it's a gift from God. He says God has given it to us. And if it's a gift, then we should respond with gratitude. Amen. Can I tell you the greatest way that you can destroy envy and jealousy in your life is by praising and thanking God for what you already have. Amen. See, a lot of times we're envious of what we don't have because we're not grateful for what we do have. And John says, hey, take a look within anything in your hand, any opportunity that we have. It's a gift from God. John was saying, I'm just thankful that God used me to begin with. I'm thankful that God would use me at all. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians 4, 7. The apostle Paul asked this really good question. It's a really um, convicting question. He says, for who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive. Okay, now think about that question. Everybody think about it in your life. He says, what do you have that you didn't receive? You say, no, well, I, work, I worked hard for what I have, but who gave you that work ethic? You say, well, no, I studied hard for these grades. That may be true, but who gave you the intellect? Who gave you your mind? See, Paul says, what do you have that you didn't receive? See, see we've received it, but then he says this. So, now, if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hadst not received it. Why are you glorying in something as though you achieved it? Can I give you a great rule to live by today? Can I give you a great rule to live by today? If you don't want it, I'll just move on. It's okay. <laughs> Here's the rule to live by. Don't become proud over what God made possible. Don't become proud over what God made possible. He says, why are you glorying in something like you didn't receive it. In other words, God deserves all the praise. He's gifted us. He's blessed us. And I'm just so thankful that God would use me. Now, notice what he says in verse 28. He says, you yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. How do we get victory over envy? We have to remove unhealthy emotion. We have to recognize that what we have is a gift. And thirdly, you have to remember who you are. We talked about this all last week. John was so confident in who he was. 
He says here in verse number 28, I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. See, John was secure in his identity. He knew, hey, my identity is not in how many followers I have. Here is John. It's like your Instagram followers going from 5,000 to 50. And John says, I'm totally fine. He says, my identity is not in that number. My identity is in Christ. I know what I'm called to do. And so if we're going to get victory over envy, we have to be secure in who God created us to be. Maybe today you have fallen into the comparison trap. Maybe today you feel like your impact is lessening. Maybe you feel like, John, like your ministry is being eclipsed. And I would just encourage you to be who God created you to be and to remember who you are. Number one, fight against envy. Number two today, you ready for the second thought? Number two, you then have to function with joy. Now, here's what I love about this next uh, statement that John gives. It shows that he really means what he's saying. It wasn't like John just knew the right answer. It wasn't like John just knew the humble answer, and so he was going to give the humble answer, but he really didn't feel it on the inside. How many of you knew the right thing to say or do, but you didn't feel it on the inside? Anybody like that? And uh, John was truly happy that people were flocking to Jesus. I remember, you, you may have heard me tell the story before, that the night that my brother Larry got engaged, uh, he met Kobe Bryant. And uh, Kobe was at the restaurant that, that he was at, and they got pictures together, and, and uh, I was a few miles away. And to say that, that I was jealous would be an understatement, okay? I wanted to be there so bad. And I was texting, I was texting Larry, and I'm like asking him questions, and, and I was trying to be excited about their engagement when we finally met up later on. Like uh, my sister-in-law, Ashley, was showing off her ring, and I was like, yeah, congratulations. Okay. And, uh, you know, but they had, the, they had a picture with Kobe, and, and uh, man, I was trying to be happy for him, but on the inside, uh, I wanted to meet Kobe so bad, right? And uh, sometimes uh, we can know the right things that we're supposed to say, but on the inside, we don't feel it. And what I love about this is John wasn't just taking a posture of humility. He actually had a deep joy within his soul. He was totally content that his ministry was fading and more people were going to Jesus. Now, I want you to see how this breaks down in verse 29. It says this, he that hath the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. And so John is going to give this, he's going to give this uh, analogy of a wedding and, and, and how uh, he is not the groom, that Jesus is the groom. But he, John, John's saying, I'm kind of like the best man at the wedding. Uh, I'm just happy for the groom. And uh, how many of you have ever been the best man in a wedding? Anybody like that? I've been the best man in a wedding, and, I, and I've learned that a best man has certain responsibilities in a wedding. Uh, a best man is supposed to carry the rings. Okay, that's an important detail. Um, the best man is supposed to give a speech at the reception. Uh, the best man is supposed to plan a bachelor party. I didn't know that when my brother Larry was getting married, and it was the day before the wedding, and he's like, what are we going to do? And I'm like, what do you want to do? <laughs> like, like, we can do whatever you'd like to do. I don't know. And uh, I, I didn't know that, uh, that there were certain responsibilities with that. But John is saying, hey, uh, I am not the groom. I am not the one that deserves the attention. I'm just like the friend that is so happy for the groom. We would all understand that it would be completely inappropriate if the best man at a wedding tried to make it all about him. Right? That would be, that would be off-putting if they tried to do that. And John is saying, I am so happy to be able to point other people to Jesus. By the way, interestingly, in the Old Testament, it was only Yahweh, it was only God that was ever referred to as the husband or the groom of Israel. And so when John here uses this analogy in verse 29 and says that he is the groom, he knew what he was doing. He was equating Jesus with God. 
He was saying Jesus is God. In fact, one commentator, Leon Morris, he said this, the Baptist, speaking of John, uh, would have been well aware that in the Old Testament, Israel is regarded as the bride of Jehovah. And here's what I want you to see. John was not discouraged that people were flocking away from him. He was delighted. Why? How could John have this joy? He says, there, uh, my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. He says, I'm so happy. I'm so filled with joy. Why? He knew they were going to Jesus. That is why every follower of Jesus should be excited and should smile and should have some joy when a lost sinner repents, when someone prays to receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. That is why at Rock Hill, we unapologetically celebrate those that receive Jesus Christ. There's a lot of things in life you can get excited about. A lot of people are going to be excited later today. Uh, But can I tell you that as followers of Jesus, we should be filled with joy when a lost sinner repents. When someone receives the Lord. By the way, if you've ever been in a season where your joy was lacking, if you've ever been in a discouraging season or a season just filled with anxiety or a difficult season, uh, in fact, I hear this all the time where people say, you know, my joy isn't where it used to be. And, uh, you know, the things that I used to be so filled with joy about, I'm no longer experiencing that same joy. My, my, my joy has just uh, been decreasing. Can I tell you one of the greatest ways that you can infuse joy into your life? is to lead someone else to Christ, is to point someone else to Jesus, is to invite a friend to church, is to see someone else in your life be be encountered and encapsulated by the gospel message. This is what John said. My joy is fulfilled, not not because of me. My joy is fulfilled because more people are going to Jesus. This is what he was all about. Notice verse 30, what he says. He goes on, he says this. He says, he must increase... But I must decrease. That ought to be the motto, the mantra, the mission statement of every single follower of Jesus. He must increase. I must decrease. John said, I want to become less visible, and I want Jesus to be more visible. I want it to be all about him. John was a man of humility. I was reading a couple weeks ago that about 100 years ago, Booker T. Washington was the most famous black man in the world, and he Uh, had opportunities to have tea with the Queen of England. He was having dinners at the White House. He had many speaking engagements. Uh, And there was this one particular day when he was in Des Moines, Iowa, and he was speaking at several different crowds that day. He was delivering sermons and speeches. And he actually spoke at three to four different places and just packed out the place and uh, big crowds coming to see him. And he was the talk of the town. Well, that night, Booker T. Washington went to his hotel, and he was in the lobby of his hotel. And there was a woman in the hotel that mistakenly thought that he was uh, a worker at the hotel. And so she went up to him and said, can you please get me a glass of water? But rather than correcting her, Booker T. Washington said, sure. And he went and he grabbed her a glass of water and he brought it back to her and he said, can I give you anything else? And many people believe that that moment encapsulated his character. In fact, uh, Teddy Roosevelt, President Teddy Roosevelt went on to say, Booker T. Washington was a man of humility and a man of dignity. Can I tell you, I believe the most joy-filled people in life are those that are content to fly under the radar. He must increase. I must decrease. We have to fight against envy. We have to function with joy. And then here's a third thought today and we'll be done. Number three, you have to fixate on truth. A couple weeks ago, Apple came out with Apple Vision Pro. How many of you have seen this? I saw a picture the other day of someone driving and uh, they were driving a Tesla Cybertruck wearing Apple Vision Pro. And uh, 
And uh, welcome to the future. We made it, right? It's a little bit scary. And uh, the other day, I saw a Tesla Cybertruck out in the wild. And I was driving down on Millican. I saw it. I saw it passing through on Baseline. I almost broke my neck trying to see it. I was like, "Wow, there's a Tesla uh, Cybertruck." But um, go, go back to the picture of the Apple uh, Vision Pro for a second. And uh, how many of you have seen uh, pictures of uh, people wearing these or videos of people walking around wearing these Apple Vision Pro? They're just walking around everywhere. And it's this whole new virtual uh, reality world that we're living in. I think it's somewhat humorous because growing up, my mom used to always tell me, Matt, uh, don't sit close to the screen. Like I would watch Laker games just like right there, like just watching Kobe and Shaq. And, you know, and uh, she would say, back up a little bit. Now we're just living in this generation where people are just glued to goggles of their face all the time, just walking around. And... I think, it's, I think it's interesting, and I think it actually illustrates a greater principle in life, and that principle is whatever you fixate on becomes your focus. Whatever you fixate on becomes your focus. Let me give you an example. If you fixate on your feelings, if you fixate on a past hurt that happened to you, if you fixate on a trial that you've experienced, then everywhere you go, that is the lens by which you view your life. And that is why you can walk into any room and be offended. You can walk into any room and feel insecure. You can walk into any room and feel hurt because whatever you fixate on becomes your focus. And that is why as followers of Jesus, we must fixate on the truth of God's word, not on an emotion, not on happenstance or circumstance, but we fixate on truth. Now, I love what John does as we close out this section because John does what he always does. He points people to Jesus. And I love what John does because anytime you're studying John the Baptizer, he always turns the conversation to be about Jesus. Uh, he, he always changes the conversation. You, you want to talk about this? You want to talk about baptism and who has more followers? I want to talk about Jesus. And so what he does uh, as we close is he's going to present Jesus in truth. And he's, he's going to tell his disciples, what you need to be thinking about is the truth of who Jesus is. And so I want you to see what he says about Jesus as we close and we'll be done today. Does that sound good? Notice verse 31. He says this. He that cometh from above is above all. He that is of earth is earthly and speaketh of the earth. He that cometh from heaven is above all. What is John saying? He's saying Jesus is from heaven. Therefore, he is above all. He is greater than all. By the way, aren't you thankful today that Jesus is above all, that he is greater than all, that he is from heaven? And if he is from heaven, then he is the source of truth of everything about heaven. That's where he comes from. In fact, William Barclay put it this way. If we want information about a family, we will get it at first hand only from a member of that family. If we want information about a town, we will get it at first hand only from someone who comes from that town. So then, if we want information about God, we will get it only from the Son of God. And if we want information about heaven and heaven's life, we will get it only from him who comes from heaven. John's saying, you can trust him because he comes from heaven. He is not of this earth. And then he says this in verse 32. And what he hath seen and heard, he testified. Jesus is testifying of all the things that he's seen and heard. And and, uh, then he says this tragic statement at the end of verse number 32. And no man receiveth his testimony. Even though Jesus is from heaven, even though Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, many people won't receive him. Now, this shouldn't, it hurts us, but it shouldn't surprise us. The Bible says that he came unto his own, and his own received him not. That many people will reject the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They will hear the message. They will know this message of the gospel. But notice what he says in verse 33. He that hath received his testimony 
hath set to his seal that God is true. And so he says in verse 32, some people will not receive, some people will reject. But then in verse 33, some people will receive. And, and, and then he says, I like this little phrase, he says, set to his seal. Now what does that mean? Set to his seal. Uh, my daughter lived for Christmas this year. She got this wax uh, seal uh, kit, this set, and so she can write a letter, and uh, she can put that letter in an envelope, and she'll put hot wax on it, and she'll stamp it, and it'll be a seal, and it's secured once that seal is on it. And what John is saying is, hey, Jesus is true, and you can set your seal to it. In other words, you can mark it down. You can write it down. You can etch it in stone. You can be confident that God is true. He's saying you can be certain you can be secure that the message that we have is true. Notice it, verse 33. Set to a seal that God is true. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And he says in verse 34, for he whom have God sent, for he whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God. The words of God. Aren't you thankful for the word of God today? For God giveth not the spirit by measure unto him. In other words, the spirit took upon him permanent residence. Now, his testimony is true. This, this is what John is communicating. His word is true. His testimony is true. He's speaking the words of God. You can trust him. I read a story recently where back in 2006, on January 19th, NASA launched the space probe New Horizons. I think we have a picture of it today. And the primary mission of this space probe was to do a flyby of Pluto. That was the primary purpose and mission of this space probe. And on July 14th, 2015, almost 10 years later, this space probe flew by Pluto. And what's amazing about this is that this is a 10-year, 3-billion-mile journey to get to Pluto. But here's the amazing part. NASA predicted the time of its arrival to Pluto within one-minute accuracy. Over 10 years, 3 billion miles, and they predicted the date and time within one minute. I can't even predict the time that I get home from work on a regular day. Three billion miles. NASA said this. They said we predicted the New Horizons decade-long journey within 99.99998% accuracy. How many of you would say that's pretty impressive? Can I encourage you today? that we have something far better than 99.9998% accuracy. We have the inspired, infallible, inerrant word of God. And if God said it, you can trust it. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. Proverbs chapter 30, verse number five says, every word of God is pure. And this is the message that John was communicating to his disciples. It's the message that I'm trying to communicate today that if God said it, we can trust it. Set your seal to it. Etch it in stone. Believe it. Not your emotions, not the culture, but the word of God. This is what John is saying. And then notice how our text closes in verse 35. The father loveth the son and hath given all things into his hand. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not on the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abideth on him forever. Now, when it comes to the wrath of God, sometimes we can shy away from it. It makes us nervous. But we should not ignore it. Because this is what John is saying. If you believe on Jesus, you have eternal life. How many of you are so thankful for that promise today? If you believe on the Son... You have eternal life. Belief leads to salvation, but rejection leads to condemnation. And he says the wrath of God will abide on him. William Barclay says, it's not 
that God sends wrath upon him, it's that he brings that wrath upon himself. Because God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the question comes down today in this room in the 930 service and those watching online, have you put your faith in him? Have you put your trust in him? If you have the son, if you have a relationship with Jesus, you have eternal life and a home in heaven forever. But if you have not received, like John tragically says, many will not receive, then you do not have eternal life. And so if you're not sure about that today, I would encourage you today can be the day where you place your faith in Jesus Christ. Now, if you're in the room today and you are saved and you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, can I encourage you, don't ever drift from your God-given purpose. Like John, when people start to question, when people starts to start to bring discouragement, if it seems like your ministry is fading out and if it seems like uh, your impact is lessening, keep on pointing people to Jesus. Keep on functioning with joy. Keep on fixating on the truth of God's word. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes today.